Well, at breakfast uh, Thursday morning, Chris Hoyle asked me if I was excited about Matthew. And he asked me that because he and I have talked before about the fact that I dislike topical sermon series. Uh, they're difficult for me. I have, I have trouble preparing for them. Um, and I said I was, though, however, excited about Matthew for three reasons. One, uh, we're going to be in Matthew for a total of seven weeks. And uh, we're, we're, we kind of jumped in the middle and we're going to work sequentially till the end. Uh, and two, Matthew's narrative, so it's a little different. And then three, our focus is on Christ. Our, our focus is on Jesus, and that's more than just a mere topic. Um, and and that's, that's our desire, right? I mean, you've heard me say many times that uh, we are here that we might see Jesus. That's what we want. We want to see Jesus. You know, in the midst of the chaos of the week, uh, as much as uh, that goes on throughout the course of a week, uh, we need to gather and we need nothing less than that. Really, that's what we need. We need to see Him. Your week could have been fantastic. Your week uh, could have been full of excitement or it simply could have been easy and filled with comfort. Uh, your week could have been uh, routine and uneventful. Uh, it could have even been boring. Uh, but your week could also have been filled with turmoil. It could have been filled with difficulty and pain and confusion and disappointment. But regardless, no matter what went on last week and no matter what ahead this week, no matter what lies ahead... From the call to worship to the benediction. And through the simple means of word and sacrament. I pray that in the words of verse 8. That Ernie read earlier and that I'm just about to read. That we would lift up our eyes. And see no one but Jesus only. That is our prayer tonight. So with that in mind, would you please stand in the honor of God's word. Uh, turn in your Bibles as you do. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 17 if you're not already there. I am going to reread the passage that Ernie just read just to um, get us ready uh, to bring us back to that as we begin to walk through it. Hear now the word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. 
so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so very much for this, your holy and inerrant word. And we would pray that in these moments that we, in fact, would see Jesus and him alone. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Father, I would pray that that you would use your servant. And that you would remove anything that might distract from us seeing him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Seeing Jesus. Uh, For us to do that, I want to look at this narrative completely. It's a a little different than what we might be used to. I want to look at the narrative completely. And then I want to come back and uh, give you four points of application or takeaways that that I would ask that you would consider as we go tonight. Um, Our outline is going to look like this. We're going to look at the transformation in verses 1 to 3. Uh, We will look at the conversation that takes place in verses 4 to 8. And then we'll look at the restriction in verses 9 to 13. Okay, so let's look first at the transformation. As I mentioned to the kids, it's been a week since Jesus has shared with the disciples who He was, what He came to do, and how they were to respond in light of that. And if you weren't here, uh, I'll just catch you up a little bit. That first, Jesus affirmed Peter's confession that he was the son of the living God. Uh, he then said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must face the, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees or the religious leaders. And I must die at their hands. And then he said, how you are to respond is if you're going to follow me, that you need to be willing to lay down your life. You need to be, uh, live lives of self-denial to the point that you would even lay down your life for me and for the faith. And so as we pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 17, uh, we don't know exactly which mountain this is. We don't know why Je- uh, Jesus only chose Peter, James, and John. Uh, but the four of them have, have decided or they're in the midst of hiking up a mountain. They arrive at the mountain Um, It wasn't unusual for Jesus to do this kind of thing. Um, We see throughout Scripture that there were times that he would go to a secluded place to either rest or to pray, uh, and sometimes to do both. Uh, Sometimes he was just escaping the crowds. And we also see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that mountain sides and mountain tops were often places for uh, particular events and teachable moments uh, throughout Christ's ministry. Luke says that when they get to the top, Peter, James, and John fall asleep and Jesus prays. And by the way, that's not the last time we're going to see that happen between now and Easter. Uh, but Matthew simply says he was transfigured. Uh, the word is metamorph- metamorphothe, and it means to be changed. And it, it does have a ring to it because it's the word where we get our word metamorphosis. But Jesus is changed. He undergoes a change. His face shines like the sun. His clothes become white as light. And what's really taking place there is at that moment, the glory of Christ, that glory that he had emptied himself of, as he had humbled himself and had emptied himself of his glory, is now coming uh, 
is coming forward. His, his glory hadn't been lessened, it hadn't been removed, it had simply been hidden. And at that moment, on that mountain, the veil is slightly peeled back a little bit so that those three can see who He truly is as the Son of God. As you can imagine, they had been around Him and they had seen Him as a human being. He was completely human, but He was also completely God. But as you can imagine, over time, as they see Him day after day after day as a human, the questions might have come, is He really God? And at that moment, His glory is revealed. And they see Him as He truly is. And what do we mean we see His glory? Well, if you're familiar at all with R.C. Sproul and if you've listened to him at all, maybe you can hear His voice as I describe His glory, His weightiness, His supreme importance and significance, His transcendent majesty. In that moment, in the midst of His humiliation, the disciples get a glimpse of what He will one day be like in His exaltation, to use language from our catechisms. And unlike Moses, who, uh, whose face glowed by simply being in God's presence and reflected His glory when He saw Him on Mount Sinai, the face of Jesus shone like the sun because His glory emanated from Himself. It was who He was and is. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So it wasn't simply a reflection. His clothes became pure as uh, as light, white as pure light, also exhibiting that His glory was was emanating from Himself. It was who He was. The pureness of His own being was shining forth in front of the disciples. Again, not being refracted or reflected in any way. It was His person and His being. And the question we ask is why? Why now? Why of all times? Well, let's go back. What has just happened? He's just said, I must go to Jerusalem. I must die at the hands of the religious leaders. He's going to say this again as they arrive in Galilee. He's going to say it again as they approach Jerusalem. He's also said that life is a life of self-denial. You need to be willing to lay down your life if you're called to do it for for the Son of Man. And, And he says, as well as I've just said in... Back in 16, the last verse, he's just said that there will be some who will see the Son of Man coming in this kingdom. And this is one of those opportunities. They see Him as He is. And so at this moment, we see that the the faith of the disciples confirmed and affirmed. And we also see the Lord giving them hope. Hope because of what is to come in the days and weeks ahead. Hope that they would desperately need. Well, at this point, a conversation begins. Uh, Matthew says that Moses and Elijah appear and are talking with Jesus. Uh, Matthew doesn't say what they're talking about, but Luke does. Uh, Luke says they're talking about his death. And in the midst of that, congreg- uh, in the midst of that conversation, uh, guess who speaks up? Peter. 
Right? We have Moses standing in the presence of Christ. We have Elijah standing in the presence of Christ. We have Moses representing the law. We have Elijah as representing the prophets. We have the, the representation of the law and prophets who all pointed to Jesus. We have Jesus standing in their midst who would have been the greater Moses and the greater mediator because he was mediating a greater covenant. And then we have Christ being the better Elijah because he was the prophet. Who, the, who um, the writer of Hebrews says had come to, um, through whom God had spoken in these last days. And so we have the two who are to give testimony to Jesus. They're in this con- conversation, and Peter speaks up as if he has something to say in the midst of these three. And what does he say? He says, man, I'm glad we're here. And if you don't mind, I want to build three tents so that we can stick around. I'll build three tents so that you all can stay. And it seems innocent enough. It seems good and right in some ways. It seems even pious in a good way. I mean, the whole experience is surreal. He's standing in the glorified presence of Christ. He's standing in the midst of Moses and Elijah. How we, we're not told how he knows that's who they are, but he does. It's been divinely revealed in some way. He recognizes them, and he doesn't want it to end. He wants it to stay just as it is. But there are a few reasons why this is actually wrong. First, Luke comes, uh, just comes right out and says, Peter didn't know what he was saying. Right? Peter's, Peter's doing what Peter does and speaks before thinking. Um, second, as both James Boyce and Calvin point out, it was a way of... You know, what, what Peter's doing is a way of kind of putting them all on the same level. Mistaking the fact that Moses and Elijah were to point to Jesus and that Jesus was greater than the two of them. Here we have them. Well, I'm going to put, a, put them all three in temporary tents, kind of levelizing who they are. Failing to maintain the distinction. And then third... Again, he's making the simple mistake that he made just a chapter earlier, just previously, a week before. Wanting to forego the cross, wanting to do anything but to see Christ sacrificed. And he, he steps in and says, may it never be. And Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. We have it all over again. How about we just stay here? How about we not go to Jerusalem? How about you don't go suffer and die? Let's just stay here And you know that something's wrong because the cloud descends and the word says that God interrupts him. While he was still speaking, God interrupts. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The reality is that as great as we see, as great as we call, as great as Moses and Elijah were, they were just men. Sinners like you and me. And their role was to point to Jesus. And who was Jesus? Jesus was and is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the disti- he is a distinct person in the Godhead. But He is also one in substance, power, and eternity with the Father and the Spirit. Remarkably different. And the Father says, listen to Him. Peter be quiet, listen to him. 
He must. He's just said he must go to Jerusalem. He's just said he must die. He must said he, he will rise again. Listen to him. Obey him. Get out of your own head. Get out of your own agenda. Put it aside. Stop focusing on what you think ought to happen. Actually, just quit talking and listen for a minute. And when the Lord speaks, despite his impetuous nature, he does what James and John do, and they all hit their face out of reverence and awe and are trembling in the fear of the Lord. And, and I don't want to be irreverent in any way, and I don't want to take too much liberty, but I have to think as they're laying there on the ground that Peter, or James and John are giving Peter an earful. Would you just shut up before we all die? And it's at that moment that this the grace and mercy of Christ breaks in to what's going on. And he reaches down and he touches them and he speaks. A touch from the Lord Jesus reassuring them. That gentle touch that in those moments of fear, in the moments of distress, in the moments of discouragement, the touch that carries with it safety, love and safety and security. And then they hear the words rise. Have no fear. In other words, get up. It's okay. You don't have to fear. I'm here with you. I'm your go-between. Right? I, we could put it in language today. I've, I've got you. You can hide in me. And it's here that we read my favorite verse of the passage. I've emphasized it. We've already, I've already mentioned it. In verse 8 it says, And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Moses is gone. Elijah's gone. The cloud is gone. They look and they see Jesus. Well, in verse 9, they start their descent. They're coming down the mountain and Jesus says something that we think is pretty strange or I, it seems to be out of place. He's he says, now, don't tell anyone what's just happened until I rise from the dead. And, and we read that restriction and we go, why? Why would he wait? Why not tell everybody? And the answer is because his glory would not be and could not be understood apart from the cross. His glory was not going to be understood apart from the cross. Those two things could not be separated. So think about, let's go back to the transformation a minute. After Jesus' arrest, right, we're, we're progressing in this direction. And you, you know what's coming, right? So after he's arrested, what happens? Peter denies him three times. The rest of the disciples all go into hiding. So it seems as though the point of this failed that the transfiguration actually failed because we don't see that strength of faith before the cross but we do 
see it after the cross. Ultimately, we know that it affected them greatly. And we know that. We know that this experience becomes a major part of their testimony because of the words that, the, that both John and, and Peter write. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. I think he's referring back to the mount. He's seen his glory. And then Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, we, or for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. It did have an effect. Because what do we know? Post-ascension, right? James dies. Peter dies. John's exiled. It had a profound effect. They ultimately denied themselves and took up their cross as they followed the Lord Jesus. They knew that Jesus, they had seen him in his glory. They knew that at any moment, because they had seen Him in His glory, they knew that at any moment He could stop what was going on, and yet He chose to willingly lay down His life for them, for sinners, for you, and for me. So it encouraged them and it strengthened them, just not, it's not in the timing that we thought it would happen. But we can also look at the conversation. We look at the conversation and we see what, what was it that Peter wanted Christ to do. It was to stay on the mountain and bypass the cross. He wanted Christ to be glorified apart from the cross. And Jesus says no. And I believe that one of the reasons that he tells them to wait is because what was going to happen as they get down and they begin to share the story. The same thing that happened to Peter was going to happen to others. Apart from the cross, they weren't going to understand the glory as it had been revealed. So that, that leaves us with the question, that, that question of so what? And again, I, I want to share four things that I would encourage you to consider tonight. Um, because this narrative, this story in, informs, I believe informs at least four things. One, it informs our worship it informs uh, the Word of God, it informs our circumstances, and it informs our relationships. First, let's look at worship. In our worship, in our worship, may we look and see no one but Jesus only. As we gather for worship, it's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here to see Jesus. We're here to see His glory. We are here to behold His majesty. We're not here... It's not about our own preferences. It's not about our own likes and dislikes. It's about a brief glimpse. It's about coming after what's, 
what's gone on and what's before what comes. And it's, we, we want to come and we want to be briefly reminded of His magnificence. We want to be reminded of His transcendence who is worthy of worship and honor and praise. We want to be in the presence of the one to come. He's called us to worship. So we come into His presence and what happens? We come and we're, we're awestruck or we should be awestruck because we recognize how holy He is, how sinful we are. And while we don't cast ourselves on the ground face first, we, in reality, we, we probably should. Understanding who we are, but again, the grace of God. We, we find ourselves in that moment asking for forgiveness, repenting of our sin, and, and we're through God's word and through the proclamation of the gospel, we're assured of that mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And, we're, and Christ reaches down and touches us and through his word says, fear not, your sins are forgiven. Do not fear, rise. And as Owen uh, Strachan wrote, Earlier this week, or actually at the end of February, he says this, this touch, and I, and I say that Jesus touches us, and he says this touch is more than a divine pat on the shoulder. It's not just a divine pat on the shoulder, it's, it's more than a quick grin from a hall-crossing deity. He says it gives us a brush with God. When we come into his presence for worship, it is here that we expectantly and reverently await the radiance of the appearing of God's glory. This is why we come. This is why we should come. We come to see Christ. We come to see Christ. We come to hear Christ. We come to receive Christ. That we, well, that we might go and proclaim Christ. That's why we're here. In our worship. May we look and see no one. But Jesus only. Secondly, in the Word, may we look and see no one but Jesus only. In the Word, may we see Jesus only. We, we read a passage like this and sometimes think, and, and, and I've heard it before, I wish I could experience something supernatural like they did. That's all I need. I just need that supernatural experience to affirm and confirm my faith. And all would be well. But listen to this passage from 2 Peter that I've already read the first half. Let's listen to both halves for just a minute. Peter says this, We did not follow cleverlessly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then he says this, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus on the mountain. They saw His majesty. But Peter says, what do we have? We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, we don't need a visible, audible experience to affirm or confirm our faith. We have the Word of God. 
We've been given the Word of God. And, and we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us and who illuminates that Word for us so that we understand what it is that God is saying. And it's through God, through His Spirit, through Word and sacrament that the faith that He creates within us by His Word and by His Spirit is strengthened and increased as we come to the Lord's table. We have the Word. And as Peter says, we would do well to pay attention to it. We would do well to pay attention to it. It's complete. It's sufficient. It's enough. We don't need to look for morals to live by or characters to emulate or um, instructions to follow or predictions of the future. But as we read it and as we hear it preached, may we see Jesus and Him only. May we see Him and Him only from beginning to end and everywhere in between. Thirdly, in our circumstances, may we also look and see no one but Jesus only. In our circumstances, again, throughout the course of the week, we get bogged down with all that goes on day in and day out and the struggles that are there, the frustrations, the disappointments, the pain the trials, the temptations and our sin and, and you name it. And we get tired, we get weary, we're worn out, we're discontent, we long for more. Why? Because this is not our home. This is not our home. There is something ahead. We need a reminder that this is not all there is. In, in the words of one pastor this week that I read, he says, we need a light at the end of the tunnel, and this passage is a light at the end of the tunnel. We need that light. It points us to the glory of Christ and the glory that we will one day share with Him. I think I've already said this. It points us to the day that we will see Him, we will be with Him, and we will be like Him. And it will no longer be a sight that's dim. It will be in fullness. As one author said this week, he said, Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we want, the world we were made for, the world of glory and perfection, a world not marred by sin, the world we all want is coming. It's coming. And that's where this story points us. It points us to that hope. So may we look at our circumstances through that lens. May we look at our circumstances and know and see in the midst of those circumstances, may we see Jesus only. And then lastly, in our relationships. In our relationships, may we point others to no one but Jesus only. May we point others to no one but Jesus only. So in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships with those at work, uh, in our relationships with our children, in our relationships with the lost, may we point others to the glory of Christ that cannot be separated from the cross. Let us not point them to ourselves. Let us not point them to focus on themselves. But may we point them to the Lord Jesus and His work on their behalf.
always and forever. And may we do that boldly and confidently and without apology. May we see no one but Jesus only. May others around us see no one but Jesus only. He, brothers and sisters, He's our only hope. He's our only hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.